just before the passage that we read in Matthew 3, Jesus has been baptized and everyone around him has heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son. I'm pleased with him. His identity is out in the open after 30 years of being a carpenter's son. Everybody now knows who he is. And then immediately, first thing that happens is he's taken away by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And when we join him, he's been there for 40 days. That's nearly six weeks alone with no food. He is beyond hungry. He's starving. But he knows that the wilderness is a place of preparation. He's there for a reason. At this moment, at this point, when he's at his very weakest, this is the moment which the tempter chooses to test him, to test his devotion to his Father God. And what does this tempter, this tester, this examiner choose? Food. Later, uh, he'll tempt Jesus with power, but first he chooses food. We need to notice that. Why? He knows that Jesus is, is fully man and fully God. Jesus didn't feel hunger any less than we do. And in this moment, he's not eaten for six weeks. He's probably hungrier than any of us have ever been. So what does the tempter say? Turn these stones, these stones into bread. You can kind of hear his reasoning. Okay, Jesus, you're hungry. You don't need to be hungry. You're the son of God. You have the power, the ability, and the authority. Turn these stones, these dead things, turn them into a loaf of hovis. Why not? Can you imagine? What does Jesus say? No. Man shall not live on bread alone on every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. Why does Jesus say no? Uh, why does he say this? And what can it tell us about our response to food? We'll turn to Jesus' words uh, a little bit later. But first, I know for some of you in the room, as soon as I start talking about food, or you heard that we're talking about gluttony tonight, a kind of switch went off in your head and you went, I can't do this. It could be that you uh, have an, a diagnosed or an undiagnosed eating disorder, such as bulimia or anorexia. It may be that you struggle with compulsive eating. Or maybe you have an allergy or an intolerance or a difficult relationship with food in some other way. What I want to make really really clear before we do anything else tonight is that these are illnesses and can be both mental and physical health conditions and that's that's not a sin sin exists in our choices so if you struggle with eating we'd love to pray for you but i'd also encourage you before you do anything 
uh, make any kind of changes to speak to a medical professional. At the same time, assuming you still have some degree of choice over what you eat, you're not excluded from the possibility of gluttony. But I need you to try and separate out in your head uh, gluttony from whatever condition it is that you have, whatever that is. My hope tonight is that some of what we talk about will still be uh, relevant and applicable to you and helpful to you within the boundaries of the choices that you can make in terms of your eating. I hope, I hope that helps. Equally, you might be sitting there thinking, no way, church boy, you're not taking my food. I love my food. Don't worry. I love my food too. But again, we, just, we need to just listen to this and kind of feel out where it might be applicable to us. So that being said, what is gluttony? Why is it in this list of seven deadly sins? And how can we resist it? Well, it's different to greed. And that is something that I had learned this week. I thought I was talking on greed. Turns out I'm talking on gluttony. Somebody else is talking about greed later in the series. But greed and gluttony are different, right? So greed is about accumulation, okay? So greed is me gathering in and stuff for myself, building a big pile of stuff that I hold on to. It's about collecting or gathering. If greed is about accumulation, gluttony is about consumption. And it's not just about overeating. I think that's what we first think about when we hear the word gluttony. People eating too much or body shape or portion size. But gluttony is more subtle than that. There is a subtlety to gluttony. Gluttony is about consumption. It's about what I consume. And gluttony can exist whenever I go to something other than God to try and fill the sense of spiritual emptiness, the void that is in me. Think about it. Why is it that we overeat? Because we think it's going to make us feel better about ourselves. It's a kind of comfort level. And it's not just about food either. If you're struggling to get your head around this, um, imagine you've had a rough day at school or college or uni or work. When you get home, what is it you do? What is your go-to, particularly when you're home alone? Do you order a massive takeaway? Do you grab the biggest bar of chocolate that you can find and eat it all in one go? Or maybe you binge watch five episodes of Love Island or something, I don't know. Or spend hours scrolling through Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube. I'm really bad at that. I'm really bad at scrolling through the news as well. Or like trying to find somebody who's had a worse day than me. Um, or maybe you have a few drinks and then a few more. Hear me, like none of these are bad in and of themselves. But if we're going to them for comfort and consuming more of them than is healthy for us, that is gluttony. Maybe, though, your gluttony is more inherently risky in and of itself. Could be drugs or porn or casual sex. All of these are places we can go to in order to try and fill that emptiness, that void that's within us. 
that gnawing sense that something is not right. And all of them can make us feel better for a moment, but leave us with a hangover of regret and a deep sense of emptiness. That's the trick. Effectively, what we're doing is worshipping them. Worship is whenever we put our attention, our focus, and our energy, and our money into something primarily. It's where we invest work. There is a risk that whatever you consume begins to consume you. You are what you eat and you become like the thing you choose as your object of worship. If you're going to take one thing away from tonight, it's this. Don't worship food, worship God. We're going to take food as our example tonight, but you should be able to apply some of what I'm talking about to whatever your area of temptation or testing is. Let me tell you, food is great for three things. It's great anyway, but three things in particular. Fuel, friends, and fun. Firstly, fuel. Uh, I am not an athlete. I don't know if you can tell. Those of you who are in the room, though, who are at all athletic will know that our bodies need fuel. It's nutrition, right? We need fuel. We need food in order to kind of power our bodies. Um, I discovered that I started doing some long bike rides during... uh, during lockdown, and I'd read that, oh, you know, you need to keep eating food. That's the best thing about cycling is it's the only sport where you're, like, encouraged to eat as you go. I thought, no, I think I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Four hours in, oh, my goodness. Just hit an absolute wall, absolute wall. Cyclists call it bonking. I don't know why I thought that was something else, but apparently that's what it's called. Um, You can't keep going without fuel. Most of us don't know what it's like necessarily to be kind of without food in that way. But if you've done anything like that, you'll know our bodies need fuel. Food is great with fuel. Secondly, food is great, but it's even better with friends, right? Food is a great way to build community. Again, during lockdown, I got into baking a little bit. Now, the idea of having a whole tin of brownies to yourself is probably a good thing, right? Except it's so much better to share them. That was the thing I found during lockdown was if I could deliver them out to friends and stuff, it just made me feel great. And sharing food like that, seeing other people's pleasure at the food that I made was a really cool thing. Food is great for community. It's great for friends. Thirdly, food is fun. It tastes good, right? Well, most of the time. And it's supposed to. God made it that way. When I was younger, uh, I was seriously ill, and one of the side effects of the treatment that I had was that for two weeks, I lost all of my taste buds. I was fed through a tube. Pretty gross. Don't recommend it. At the end of those two weeks, the doctors were telling me, you need to start eating food again. But as I started, everything tasted horrible. It was horrible. There was no pleasure in eating. But then slowly, the cells on my tongue started to regenerate, and I could taste food again, and I started to enjoy it again. Food is supposed to taste good. Food is great for fuel, friends, and fun, but food is a lousy God. If we try and use food or anything else to fill that gnawing spiritual ache within us, we'll end up hungry. 
It's like putting petrol in a diesel car. I don't know if you've ever done this. Not a good idea, particularly if you borrowed that car from some friends. Um, you might get a few miles down the road, but eventually the engine conks out and you'll be left counting the cost and feeling very sorry. The Apostle Paul says their God is in their belly. He's talking about his people. They said their God's in their belly, but we've got to worship God, not food. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've got to fill it with the right things. And so we come back to the response of a hungry, alone Jesus in the wilderness. What does he say? Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus isn't saying that food isn't important. It's okay, you can have your food guys, it's fine. He ate, he drank, he turned water into wine, he turned a little boy's packed lunch into a feast. In fact, he was accused wrongly of being a glutton. But he knows that this is a question of worship for him in the desert. He knows that he's in the wilderness as preparation for his life of ministry. This is a test of his calling. He knows that in this instant and at this moment, it would be wrong for him to eat because God has put him in a place of fasting. He is led there by the Holy Spirit and he's not going to leave or eat until his father says so. A little bit quick theology sidebar for you. Uh, Jesus' response is a quote from Moses in Deuteronomy. So you remember the story maybe. Uh, speaking to the people of Israel, he, Moses reminds them that God led them out of Egypt, where they couldn't worship God, to Egypt, uh, sorry, to the desert, feeding them with bread from heaven so that they would learn obedience to God, live reliant of God, and be able to enter into covenant relationship with him and inherit the land, the promised land that God had promised. This test for Jesus is an echo of the Exodus. Forty years in the desert for the Israelites, 40 days for Jesus in the wilderness. If you don't know that story, that's, that's okay, it's just detail. But the question tonight is this. Are you going to answer the call of your stomach or the call of your heart? If you're struggling with your relationship with food or something else, if it's distracting you from your relationship with God, here are some practical ideas that you can apply to help you with that. Firstly, fasting. This is what Jesus is doing here. Fasting is an amazing way of discipline given, us, given to us by God to allow us to refocus our attention on him. Our virtue for tonight is abstinence or temperance. We normally think about abstinence in terms of sex or voting, but we can abstain from anything. That is, we can choose to go without it if we know that that thing has the potential to distract us from God. Fasting, going without it, can help us to refocus our attention on him. Secondly, if you like food, you like this, feasting. We can recover a healthy sense of food by feasting together with friends. As we come out of lockdown, let's 
gets together and celebrate God's goodness to us. Feel free to invite them to your feast. They'd love to come. Thirdly, let's cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Maybe in the past uh, you've been forced to show grace, maybe at school or at home, to pray before a meal. Maybe you've never done that. Saying grace can become a dry, empty ritual like anything else. So saying thank you to God for our food helps us to see that that food is a gift from God. Gratitude suffocates gluttony. Lastly, before we continue now, I want to go back one more time to Jesus' reply in the passage and look at one other word. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. One writer said, gluttony presents the chief end of man as a table well set and a stomach well filled. We know that's not the chief end of man, right? That's not what we're made for. We're made for more than that. The Westminster Catechism, it's an ancient, well, 500 years old church document, foundational, says that the chief end of man is to worship God and glorify him forever, enjoy him forever. How do we do that? We fuel ourselves on the word of God. We come back to the book. We come back to the Bible, both at church and at home. We ask, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill me? We have fun as we serve God together not principally for our pleasure, but for his. And we live as community together. We feast together, and that is how we're going to respond tonight. We're going to have time for prayer ministry later, but first, we're going to come to the table and feast together. Jesus says to the tax collector, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word comes from the Father. Jesus here is speaking about the law of the Jews, the law of Moses, the law that was given to them in the Exodus. But later, he will say he's come to fulfill and complete the law, that he is the law. And in John's gospel, it says that he is the word from the Father. In the beginning was the word. Not only that, but he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Not only that, but in the final meal with his friends, he takes a loaf of bread, he breaks it and says, this is my body broken for you. Tonight, there is a space at the table for you. You are invited to say again, or for the very first time, God, I can't do this for my, by myself. I need you in my life. I don't want to worship food or sex or work or whatever it is that tempts you away from God. I want to live my life as worship you and you alone. Jesus invites us, the Father invites us, the Spirit invites us to come and feast on Jesus 
one day will feast with him in heaven. And when he returns on the earth. So, that is what we're going to do. Eric's going to come and lead us. And we're going to come to the table. And as we eat the bread, that's what we're saying as a community. God, I don't want to worship my stomach. I want to worship you. I want to eat this bread of life. And I want to live for you.